0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Chance or randomness, luck, happenstance, whatever you like to call it, It affects every aspect of our lives, including our health. And here's the idea. Sometimes there's something we can learn from it. So you could have someone who is diagnosed with cancer, who doesn't have any risk factors, or who is hit by a car. Totally random. But there are ways in which we are exposed to random occurrences, the chance that can teach us something almost like we're part of a, a natural experiment.
1: Happy Tuesday, everyone. This is the Next Big Idea Daily, and I'm your host, Michael Kavnat. Today, we're going to talk about just how weird medicine is. We like to think it's a rational discipline, right? It's a science, and doctors are a kind of scientist, using evidence and peer-reviewed research to guide you to the best health outcome possible. Well, kind of. Certainly, there's a lot of science in medicine, as it's practiced, but there's a lot of randomness, too. What time of day you have a surgery, what time of year you get admitted to the hospital, what kind of night your doctor had last night. There are all sorts of factors that can make medical care a lot more random than you might expect. Here to explore some of that weirdness with us are physicians Anupam Jenna and Christopher Warsham, authors of the new book, Random Acts of Medicine, the hidden forces that sway doctors, impact patients, and shape our health. Anupam teaches at the Harvard Medical School and hosts the Freakonomics MD podcast. Christopher is a researcher, pulmonologist, and critical care physician at Harvard. Here they are to share some big ideas from their book.
0: Hi, everybody. My name is Anupam Jena. I go by Bapu. I'm an economist, uh, a physician, and a professor at Harvard Medical School, and I host the Economics MD podcast.
2: My name is Chris Warsham. I am a pulmonologist and an ICU doctor at Massachusetts General Hospital and a healthcare policy researcher at Harvard Medical School.
0: So chance or randomness, luck, happenstance, whatever you like to call it, it affects every aspect of our lives, including our health. And here's the idea. Sometimes there's something we can learn from it. Now, what do I mean by that? Not too long ago, I met somebody who told me that they met their spouse at the DMV. That's the Department of Motor Vehicles. You know that's totally random, right? Because it's not actionable. You wouldn't tell someone like your son or your daughter, you know what, when you grow up, go to the DMV to meet your soulmate. But chance occurrences like that affect us every day, and they affect our health too. So you could have someone who is diagnosed with cancer, who doesn't have any risk factors, or who is hit by a car. Totally random. But there are ways in which we are exposed to random occurrences, the chance that can teach us something almost like we're part of a a natural experiment. Chris, you want to tell us a story about our kids?
2: Yeah. So, Bapu, you and I both have kids who were born in August. And that means we bring them in for their annual physicals in August. But every time we do that, the flu shot isn't available. And when we leave the doctor's office, the pediatrician tells us to make sure we make an appointment in a couple weeks to come back for a flu shot, because the flu shot isn't available until oftentimes September or October. And that's a real pain to have to come back. And it makes you wonder, well, what if our kids happened to have been born just a month later in September? If they had been born in September, would they be able to get their flu shot when they came in for their annual visit? And it makes us wonder if this goes beyond just our kids any kid born in the fall is going to have an easier time getting the flu shot than kids born at other times a year. So it turns out, in a study that we did, about 55% of kids who happened to be born in October got their flu shots versus just over 40% of kids born in, say, June. And in turn, the kids born in June were more likely to get the flu. So we saw that a random characteristic, the month someone was born in, was leading to differences in health outcomes for these kids. And it also told us that the logistics, that difficulty of having to come back for another appointment, ended up really mattering. It's easy to think that more medical care is better. It's better to search for more cancers or unclog more arteries or treat more diseases. But the data tell us that more isn't always better, and sometimes less is more. Here's a quick example from 40 years ago. When Israeli physicians were negotiating a contract with the government, they went on strike, and during that strike, they only made essential medical services available. During that time, mortality for patients living in the area stayed the same. It was the same as it was just before the strike and just after the strike, and it was the same as it was during that same time period the year before. So, in Israel, we saw that having less medical care didn't actually seem to result in any more patients dying. But, Bapu, I know you have a bit of a more nuanced example of this from a really striking study you did.
0: Chris, I don't know if it's more nuanced, but it is a different example. When I was a a resident, when I was training to be a doctor, I happened to be in the cardiac intensive care unit during the dates when there was a a major cardiology conference occurring in the country, and there's two of these big ones, the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology. And I wondered whether or not outcomes of people, patients with cardiac problems might be worse because there was this reduction in staffing or or what I perceived to be a, a reduction or a change in staffing. And so I and some colleagues, we looked at it and we found the complete opposite. We actually found that people did better So let me give you some numbers. If you have something called cardiac arrest, which is when your heart stops, 70% of people with that condition who make it to the hospital are actually dead within 30 days. So it's extraordinarily high risk. If you happen to have a cardiac arrest during the dates of one of these major cardiology conferences, when all the cardiologists are out of town, the mortality rate falls to 60%. That's huge. That's You take the effect of cholesterol medications, blood pressure medications, stenting of the heart, you put it all together, it doesn't deliver that same level of benefit. The other data point that we found was that a rate of a very important cardiac procedure fell by about 30%. So it was happening less often. The intensity of care during the dates of those meetings was lower. And there's a lot of reasons why that might be true. But the take-home point was that in a scenario where we were doing less things. For patients with cardiac disease or acute cardiac disease, we actually observed better outcomes, lower mortality. So that speaks to this idea of how data applied in a creative way can tell you when sometimes more is more, more medical care is better, but it could also tell you that sometimes we have the opposite issue, like in this one here, where more medical care could be worse or less is more. We don't actually know exactly what makes a good doctor. So Chris, let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say you're a patient and you walk into a room and you see a doctor come into the room who looks really young. Would you be worried? Would you rather that that doctor had more gray hair, had more experience? Or how would you feel if the doctor was a man or a woman, went to Harvard Medical School, or went to medical school in this country versus outside of this country? All of those things are things that we probably think a lot about, but we don't have much good evidence on. So talk to us about maybe one of the more basic questions, which is, does the experience of the doctor that you see matter?
2: There's not a lot of great ways to answer this question. The reason for that is because, let's say I am looking for a new doctor. I might search for a doctor who's my age. Uh, Someone who's older than me might search for a doctor who's older. And that's not random. So we can't look at someone like me who gets sick and seeks out a younger doctor, and if I do well, say that younger doctors are better. We have to find a situation where doctors are getting assigned randomly to patients. And that actually happens quite frequently in the hospital. So... These days, they get assigned to an internal medicine doctor like us called a hospitalist, and they just get assigned to whichever hospitalist happens to be on duty. So it's a nice randomizing event. In a study you did with some colleagues, you simply asked what happened to patients based on how old the hospitalist was who admitted them. And what you found was that as the hospitalists got older, the mortality of the patients they admitted to the hospital went up. And at first blush, it makes you think, wow, I definitely don't want to be admitted to an older doctor if that's the case. But digging a little deeper, the data showed that for doctors who were older but continued to see a lot of patients, by seeing a lot of patients, they stayed sharp. And their patients did just as well as the patients who were seen by younger hospitalists. So, at the end of the day, the question shouldn't be, do I want a more seasoned doctor with gray hair? The question should be, how many patients is this doctor seeing on a regular basis in order to stay sharp? Behavioral economics isn't just fodder for consumer advertisers, it shows up in high stakes situations too. And Bapu, I know you've done a really clever study about this one.
0: The story that I always tell Chris is that if you go to the grocery store, and you see a bag of chips that costs $1.99 maybe you wonder why it's a buck 99 instead of $2 and the reason why is because 1.99 it's a penny cheaper but it feels like it's more than a penny cheaper and the reason why is because of something called left digit bias it's the tendency of the mind to focus on the leftmost digit in a string of numbers so something that's 1.99 feels something like $1 and something that's two dollars, it feels like it's two dollars, and one dollar is less than two dollars. Now, what does it have to do with medicine and our healthcare? Well, we did a study a while ago, and we talk about it in the book, in which we looked at people who were admitted to the hospital with a heart attack. One of the things that you can do to treat a heart attack is do a, a cardiac bypass surgery. And what we saw was that people who happened to come to the hospital when they were seventy-nine years old in fifty weeks just about to turn 80, those people were more likely to receive a cardiac bypass surgery than someone who happened to come to the hospital with a heart attack just a couple of weeks later when they are 80 years old and let's say, one week. And the reason why is that the older patients are, the less likely doctors want to do something aggressive with them. And so someone who's 80 years old in one week, they feel like they're in their quote-unquote 80s, And someone who's 79 years old in 50 weeks, they feel like they're in their quote-unquote 70s. And that's the intuition. The other thing that we found is that the mortality rate at one year was basically the same in these two groups. So you had a bunch of people who are 79 years old in 50 weeks who are more likely to get a cardiac bypass surgery. But guess what? At one year after that decision, they were no more likely to be alive as a result of that surgery. So this speaks to this idea, again, that sometimes less might be more. But the other thing I liked about that study, and we talk about a lot in the book, is that when we think about behavioral economics, we, we often apply it to decisions that people make that aren't that high stakes. And sometimes the studies that support behavioral ideas come from very controlled settings, like in a laboratory, where, again, the stakes aren't high. But here's a situation, you know, a complex cardiac procedure in people who are really really sick and even in that setting a heuristic can operate you know no pun intended in the back of a physician's mind and make them do something that they might not otherwise do if they were sort of aware of that bias.
1: Thank you Anupam and Christopher. Something to think about while sitting in the waiting room am I right? People, if you haven't done it already, would you leave us a rating or review in your podcast player? I know it seems like a hassle, but it will only take a minute, and it's a way you can help spread this podcast far and wide so that everyone can be just as smart as you are. Speaking of smart people, my guest tomorrow will be Dan Ariely, a renowned social scientist and Duke professor, and he's going to share some ideas from his new book, Misbelief, What Makes Rational People Believe Irrational Things. So you can learn just why you believe that particular conspiracy theory, but definitely not that other one. I'm Michael Kovnet. See you tomorrow.